David Butler Studio Podcast. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are meeting, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to our shared future. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. He. Him. Those levels are good. Loveland. Loveland. Cheers. Let's have a little tinkle. <laughs> happy 2022. Indeed. Happy 20. Hopefully, it's a happy 2022 after. Uh, yeah. After the. After after the all of the 2020s so far. <laughs> <laughs> roaring 20s, my ass. <laughs> well, something's roaring. I'll, <laughs> that's for sure. We were just uh, coming in a little hot there. That's better. Ah. I, I mean, I also was leaning right in. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> my. Pussy. Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This does make um, the plans for your 40th in September seem all the more feasible. I was li- funny. I was literally talking to my mother this morning about this very subject because right. um, here in Australia, obviously, we are one of the hot spots in the world as far as detected cases go. Yeah. But we're also, as a population, heavily vaccinated, and we're, and that means that it's manageable for mm. us, right? Yeah. In the states, that is not the case. They still have a very low relative fully vaccinated rate why is that because we are a country (laughs) in intellectual decline (laughs) uh i mean it's political uh i mean really to make a long story very short it's political sure Um, and so is that a perspective that exists within america the, the reason that i ask is i know the way i viewed the world when I was growing up in Tasmania Mm. I knew the world to be a certain way and then when I moved to Melbourne and I had physical distance from from that state but also I was outside of the bubble that is living there Mm -hmm. I had this completely revelatory perspective of oh wow yes 100% yes right yeah you can't see the forest for the trees yeah when you're when you're in it that would have been a more succinct way. <laughs> but no, yeah, that that is that has been exactly my experience. Being out of America, mm. um, in in uh, immersed in another very similar culture, mind, mm. but but just out of, I guess, uh, some of the more prevalent ideologies, tendencies, whatever you might want to call them, mm. idiosyncrasies of. Uh, Americanism, I yeah, it, it really does give you a, a whole different perspective, um, and you know, it, it makes me appreciate the things that I really love about being uniquely American. Hmm. It also um, makes me um, regret. May, I, I'm not sure what the right word would be, but yeah, I, regret or eschew or, or whatever the case may be. Eschew? Yeah, I. I just am disappointed that we are the way we are in a number of areas. Like the gun thing is is a big thing for me. 
Sure. Um, and, you know, this thing with vaccination as well. Mm. Um, the fact that we take ourselves so seriously, mm. it's one of the, the things that I think is a real strength for Australians. The British are like this as well. Yeah. They can really take the piss out of themselves. Yes. And having that ability to laugh at yourself um, mm. is very effective in terms of, a, um, I guess, a collective sociological tool yeah. to be able to understand your own shortcomings and yes. you know like you can you can look at yourself look at your country and you go yeah you know we're we're messed up in a lot of ways but you know we're not bad people yeah whereas Americans are largely unable to uh, have a more objective view about any kind of fault in Americanism sure like America is the golden calf mm. um, that and having not grown up there is that that's the patriotism that is driven in from day one which isn't necessarily a bad thing to love one's country but as you say that kind of that seriousness where it you you lose perspective of being able to go oh we didn't do that very well yeah and i guess also there's a big difference i think between patriotism and nationalism i think Okay. Patriotism is a an admirable, um, an admirable quality, an admirable thing for a person to have. Mm. Um, but I think what we more often tend to practice is nationalism, and that's that is not. Uh, I don't think that's a good thing. Sure. Necessarily. Yeah. Right. Anyway, then <laughs> we could go down this rabbit hole all night. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hearing me it's, um, it, it is an interesting one that perspective that the, the one can can kind of have something occurred to me as you were saying that as well but I didn't want to interrupt and now it's gone <laughs> riveting <laughs> well what we're actually here to talk about though yes. is uh, our quote-unquote, chosen family. Indeed. And yes. you said that um, Elton John and what's-her-face, what was her name? I did, I'd never heard of her before. No, nor had I. Japanese singer, I believe. Beautiful voice. Yeah. yeah. A lovely alto. Lovely. She's got that lovely, deep, resonant alto. So that's Irina Sawayama. There you go. And Elton John singing that song, Chosen Family. Yeah. I feel like I had heard, not that version, but I had heard that song... A little while ago, it mm-hmm. was just kind of on my radar. It was, and maybe it was because we had started referring to our our group as chosen family that yeah. I was suddenly um, <clears throat> Fleming. Uh, <laughs> but perhaps I was more aware of that phrase. Yeah, um, that I that I noticed that that song existed. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, very pretty song. Mm. Um, there's a lot of resonance in the text in the lyrics yeah. Uh, yeah of of i think of the experience that the group of us have had yeah and and it's funny well i don't know if it's funny it might just be coincidental <laughs> but, <laughs> but you... let me send a voice memo <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, that's an in joke <laughs> um but when you mentioned just a moment ago that you um maybe had an awareness of the, I don't know if it was of the, the concept of a chosen family or if it was just the term chosen family. 
Um, but I believe, if memory serves, that you were the first one to, to use that phrase in reference right. to our group. Yeah. Um, and when I was doing some reading, which is when I came across that song, just about, I guess, the idea of chosen family, um, I came across this article about um, chosen family being something that's um, more, not necessarily more prolific, but is a uh, prolific thing within the queer community. And I mm-hmm. wondered if that was the, the sort of the impetus behind it yeah yeah yeah, very much so um a podcaster that i listen to somewhat frequently is dan savage with the savage love cast oh yes and one of the the references i i'm sure he has even said chosen family at times but he he i i recall him saying there's our biological family and our logical family yeah and how often as queer people we those two things are not the same. Mm. Those, those are not the not, not the same people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but when I referred to our group as that, I I mean obviously I really meant it, and yep. it was this kind of perspective that I had of going, you know, who do I feel are, you know, that that um what you would associate as a, as a family dynamic, the people that you are nearest and dearest with. And I, I have friends and clients that have that with their biological family and yeah. like they are so tight knit, they do everything together. Mm. You know, they're with their, they're either doing something with their cousins or their mum and dad or their siblings. I don't have any siblings, mm. um, but, but they have that relationship and through, through no fault of anyone's and it's also geographical, nobody in my family, none of my blood family are here on the mainland everybody's yeah. in Tasmania um, as far as I know everybody is there yeah um, <laughs> correct a time of recording <laughs> uh, and and so I was just kind of reflecting on who would I who, who do I have that relationship with yeah and it was you guys mm. and it is you guys you know it I think it was hugely strengthened by our playing Fortnite at such a <laughs> such a regular frequency. I really do feel like that kept us. I mean, that's an episode in itself. I was talking about Fortnite, yeah. But uh, and the role that it played. But I I know for me, it definitely saved my life during the lockdowns and just having all of you that we could just jump on and talk. Yeah. And I feel like that really solidified a bond that was already there and already forming and or like a high regard we had for one another. We've got. Animals <laughs> descending upon us. What you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I, I know what you mean by that, though. Yeah, the, yeah, the nightly catch-ups and the, um, yeah. and then you know, at first it was just you and Mel, and then it was, and then I joined, and Ollie was there, and then Claire jumped on as well. Yes, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it was, and Josh would be there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it took him a while, but then he started playing a little bit more regularly. Oh my god, yeah. I remember when he would when he first uh, I think the first time or two that he came on after months and months of us all playing together and we were so excited he was there what, I mean, and rightfully so like it's it's lovely when we're all together um, there, there is just I find there is just something very easy about that god almighty cat <laughs> fuck off <laughs> no, go on off you go Perfect. And they're off. And they're off. <laughs> Good grief. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> what were we saying? 
those nightly catch-ups yes. and, uh, and that <coughs> kind of being the, the, the reinforcing quality. Because I, I don't think it's a projection to say we, we all started to kind of lean on and rely upon that being there, that mm-hmm. being kind of an integral part of our day. Yeah. That we could all... I was about to say unload on each other, but that's <laughs> that's not quite <laughs> what was happening. Um, but it, just being able to unpack the the day and just be with one another, and obviously, given the the time historically, a, a lot of the time, at least one, if not more, of us were not in a great place. But it was we were still able to just be and kind of hold space for one another. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some nights I know I would be much quieter than other nights where I'm being really silly and chipper and that that kind of thing. Yeah. But it, and that for me is really important because I do fall into the trap of feeling like I have to perform for people, like I have to turn it on and be a certain way. He can't enter quietly, can he? <laughs> Just has to charge up and down the stairs no, no, he's going to eat my fingers the, the old Captain FOMO here <laughs> it's like I must be missing something no I mean I I understand what you mean uh, and and for me as well a lot of the times even still now that we are you know not we're obviously not out of the pandemic but yeah. we are you know it's not like it was where, mm. when we were locked down for most of last year yes or at least what felt like most of last year um but even now, still, I will jump on in the evenings just because it's a it's a such a useful tool, and not not even necessarily a tool, but it's a it's like an escapist sort of haven. Yes, you know, to be able to turn the day off. Exactly. And, you know, because I can you know sometimes it's like leaving just... the office or, or me walking out of the studio. There's something kind of symbolic to yeah. the day is complete yeah. now that I'm here. Yeah, and when I go to jump on we've wound up turning this into a Fortnite show now <laughs> but when I go to jump on there if if you're not there and if Mel's not there I, I feel a bit sad I'm, yeah. I'm like you know sometimes I'll just sit there and play by myself for a few minutes but sure. very quickly I'll just I'll kind of get sad that you're not there and then yeah. I'll be like oh, okay I guess I'll go to bed <laughs> I, right, and that's the thing I love about the group chat as well is that sometimes we'll just take a photo of us in the lobby being like <laughs> yes. I'm here and Hint. more more right but more often than not we're we're usually like I'm on my way because mm-hmm. all it takes is one person to be like I'm on where is everybody yeah, yeah <laughs> that's exactly. going you're right we should like, it would be rude not to yeah, like Claire was it last night or the night before where um, she posted in the group chat and and you had said um, oh, I'll be on my way shortly and she was like good because we're getting our asses kicked <laughs> <laughs> It's a beautiful dynamic that we have all kind of found, and I. The, the calibration of that, I think, is is interesting. Like as I was saying, we kind of have refined and practiced the dynamic a little on Fortnite, but I still feel like inevitably we still get it wrong, and we kind of say or do the wrong thing, and we can kind of put each other's nose out of joint a little bit and what's been interesting about that for me just like before we we don't even need to dive into specifics but before yeah. we go any further what's been 
helpful for me in that is how we always recover from it. It's because I haven't had that in my biological family. Right. Like there are like people are just wiped or there is always this thing being held against. Yeah. For something they did or said or didn't do yeah. or didn't say years ago. And it's kind of like ugh. Yeah, it, it's actually, it's funny that you say that because it's something I was thinking about earlier today um, while I was sort of mentally preparing for yeah. recording this, yes. was how we can, from time to time, rub each other the wrong way or Absolutely. annoy each other, whatever the case may be, but it's it, it's just the next day, it's forgotten. You know? yeah. Like we're, yeah, we're able to recover and move on from it. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it I think... I, I don't think that can be diminished in terms of its uh, its inherent value. You know, I think that's yeah. I think that's an incredibly powerful thing. In some ways, maybe the most powerful thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's unrealistic to expect people to get along all the time yeah. and to always be in the mood for another person's energy and that kind of thing. And it's being able to recognize. I, I maybe I'm overthinking this. There are a lot of sirens tonight. Yeah. <laughs> what is going there's, on? There's, there's a car party out there. There's some <laughs> shit going down in Brunswick tonight. <laughs> We're quite off the news. <laughs> but to be fair, it's usually further up Sydney Road. <laughs> um, just give away the location. Saucy. <laughs> <laughs> Brunswick's a pretty big place. It's like and Sydney Road is a pretty long street. <laughs> road. Straight. Road. Straight. Um, I've forgotten what I was gonna say um, damn we were talking about recovering recovering from um sometimes being out of joint with each other and yeah I think it, it's just unrealistic to expect us to always be and that's right and it's that separation of um be, being able to kind of separate and I may very well be overthinking this but it's separating the that the the love of of a person and seeing their seeing them and and loving them as they are is not diminished by them annoying you or upsetting you or anything like those two things are able to be uh, are able coexist. To, yes exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than them being so entangled that some you know somebody says something that pisses you off and then it's like the whole relationship is damaged it's it's a really special thing that we have that that's not the case and i don't yeah. like i certainly don't take that for granted it's not something that i will <laughs> consciously be like i'm just going to test that no no <laughs> not at all can and, I be? And, and i i completely agree with you especially i think um like if i was to if i talk about my biological family hmm. um it's a mess, right? My, like my biological family, people who are blood related, the people I grew up with and around, mm. they all hate each other. A lot of them hate me. Right. Um, and then, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that, um, which, you know, it would take hours to sort of delve into, but, um, it is sort of a family trait, um, on both sides of my family, my mother's and my father's, right. that if somebody, does something that pisses you off just one time that's it they're written off you never speak to them again and 
I mean, uh, there, I, I suppose that's that's sort of one factor of it, and then the other factor is that really we're we're just not a close knit family anyway. Sure. On either side, and even within my immediate family, because it's my mother and father, I have a sister as well. We're not close, my mm-hmm. sister and I. We're practically strangers, if I'm perfectly honest. Sure. Um, and so, for me, I guess the idea of this chosen family mm. thing um, or uh, as you uh, when you mentioned Dan Savage before and you said your biological family and your logical family yes that really makes a lot of sense to me right. because it, like these you, you know you find people in your life and you go this is it these are my people you know yeah. like you know and, and a, a, a part of what I see in the dynamic we have that I value so much and it's probably the reason I just said a few moments ago that it may be the most valuable thing mm. is that we can be pissed off at each other and but it doesn't matter like you yeah know, like it's in, in grand, that moment yes and, in the and grand scheme it. of things yeah because yeah. in my actual family that doesn't happen once somebody pisses you off sure you remember that and you carry it with you for the rest of your life yeah which somewhat needless to say but clearly there are many people that need to hear it and and should probably learn that lesson but it's it's just uh it's not realistic to to assume that somebody will never piss you off Hmm. you know to have that to set such an expectation you are setting people up to fail and there's kind of a what's the word it's a kind of a confirmation no I've lost my train of thought there. Damn it, this wine is good. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think we need more. We do, yes. Where, where, where is the bottle? Oh, right. I feel, uh, I feel like maybe it could become a thing for us to talk about the wine we're drinking on the night. I, I mean, I feel like that's a, a, a welcome inclusion. Because... So, uh, we are not sponsored. <laughs> but, but we are open to sponsorships. Yes, but the, the <laughs> wine we are much. drinking tonight is this... It's called Kings of Prohibition Tempranillo. Um, and you're and, not normally a Tempranillo person. Well, I, I... Well, you're not usually a lighter-bodied wine person. That's true, yes. Because this is not r- robust like a Shiraz. Like a Shiraz or a Cab Sav, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um but it is just a little beautiful bit. to the taste. It and it comes in this incredible bottle, which is the reason I bought it in the first place. And it looks like a it looks like a liquor bottle. But anyway, Kings of Prohibition Tempranillo, um, and it's not very expensive. I think from memory it was around twenty bucks a bottle. But mm. yeah, it's very nice on the palate. It is, it's, as you say, it's a beautiful bottle. It's like a black um, gin bottle. Yeah, almost a matte black. Yeah, as you say, liquor bottle. It looks like a spiced rum, maybe. Mm. Anyway, as we said, not sponsored, but... Not sponsored. Uh, but again, open to sponsorships. <laughs> I, I'm very... <coughs> Sponsor us. <laughs> give us money. That'd be great. Anyway. Or just give us wine. Anyway. Right. Um, so, one of the things that I wanted to uh, ask you about mm. um, is recently mm. you. Uh, I was not able to be there uh, because I was uh, performing in a 
in a show over the weekend that you were away, but we went away for Mel's birthday. We as oh, in right. the family went away for Mel's birthday. Yes. Um, and Claire and the kids um, yeah. were with you guys. Yes. Um, we had and, our little gunkle out. Yes, and I wanted to talk about the gunkles thing. Correct. Because I, that was a term I hadn't heard before, and I thought it was very <laughs> cute. Right. Um, but, like, you also have gunkles in your family, don't you? Um, or of sorts? Sort of. I have... I mean, I, I suppose if I look at my life and the people that I gravitated to, I was definitely drawn to without realising why or or even the recognising that some of these men were gay. Yeah. Long before I knew what that was or recognised that within myself, I was yeah. often drawn to the gay men that happened to be around me and I think upon reflection it's like there were just not a lot of role models there weren't a lot of certainly not openly gay men because mm. I mean homosexuality was illegal till the mid 90s anyway so yeah, 98 I think is when yeah like 97 98 something like that um, so that like the, the very beginnings of my life where it was outlawed yeah um yeah, I didn't have a lot of gay men around me, and within my family, uh, I wasn't aware of any. Mm. And I remember asking mum, I think it was, I asked if she knew if we had any gay men in the family, and she said there were none that she knew of. But it was always, they were always people that I was drawn to in friend groups, and you know, and as I got more into theatre and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, but that weekend was, was wonderful, and it was a very. Uh, healing I, I've said this to you before um, the kids are a very healing force speaking of kids here comes the dog with a soft toy <laughs> being like it's time now to play <laughs> you two have ignored me long enough good boy um, I've said this to you before but the kids have been an incredibly healing and continue to be an incredibly he healing force in my life because I have well I was definitely in my teens scared out of um, there, there is a really gross correlation with being gay and being a predator yeah like uh, I suppose another way to put into uh, it, it into context there has been one thing I have ever been certain of and is that I want to be a father that is the one thing that I know to be true of me my entire life even as a like a three or four year old I remember begging my nan for a baby doll that I could look after mm. and like so that has always been within me and I have always been the kind of person who gravitated to spending time with the adults and looking after the kids yeah as I reached my teens and I started to realise that I was gay partly because of geographically where I was and the association of what it means to be gay in Tasmania at that time, mm -hmm. but also just what it means to be gay in general. There is this awful conflation of if you are gay, then you are a predatory type person. Yeah. And that is... For a young person trying to figure out who they are, when, when those two things are conflated and, yeah. and tied together, you make room a little bit in yourself of, of kind of going, well, I know I'm gay. I don't want to be. I know I am. Yeah. So maybe there is this other thing that's within me that I don't know yet. Yeah. 
but I never want to be that. And mm. so you start to distance yourself or make sure that there are always people around. And it really challenged me being comfortable being around kids. Like I would never be alone around a child. Yeah. Not because of my own ill intent. Just for the fear of what people might think. Because all it takes is an accusation. Yeah. All it takes is somebody to say, or even infer. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of all over. Mm. Um, and that is something that I have carried a lot of fear around for a long time and still have a... It, it's not something I think that I will ever completely get away from, yeah. but it is so drilled in. But something my, that I have worked on with my therapist a lot about is the... Because I was threatened, I think I shared with you once, I, um, a, a younger person that I used to spend time with they were effectively like a younger sibling yeah um, they threatened me with you have to be nice to me otherwise I'll tell people that you touched me yeah um, and I mean that puts the fear of God in you fear of something anyway yeah the fear of <laughs> yeah all, all sorts of shit happening um, yeah I mean that that's anyway uh, what we have been talking about in therapy and what I have worked on is that that person is really not going to make good on that threat now decades later it's not in their interest to dredge up this like what are they going to get over does that make sense yeah like that's not a threat that's ever going to be made good on so why do I still let it affect me why do i still carry that fear why do i still give that power when that person probably doesn't even remember saying that maybe yeah you know what i mean yeah i mean but but it also does make sense to me anyway as as to why you would still carry that around that is i mean that's an incredible thing to be threatened with yeah that is a life-altering yes traumatic thing to be threatened with so it, it is not it's not something you would just no. forget the next day no well i i don't think i recognized it as a traumatic for the traumatic experience that it was i don't think i recognized it as that for five six seven years yeah after that i just i think i just internalized it yeah this kind of well i i don't want people to to think the wrong thing of me and think that that's how I am Mm. so I will just make sure I'm never in a position ever again that somebody could make something like that up yeah Um, but yeah and like in the first year or two of knowing you guys and being around the kids you know like one of them would say come and read me a story you know or like come and see this thing in my room yeah and I would always make up an excuse why I couldn't go or it would always be Oh, can like let's have people come with me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. just it 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 became the default thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose it would be um, oh, what's the word I want? Um, I, I, I guess what I want to say is that I wouldn't want to assume that you um, now you know having the relationship that you and Josh have with our kids that mm. you know. It, you would just be over that. Certainly um, not. No, but, I, yeah. I it, well, even as recently as um, when we were around at yours for New Year's. Yeah. Um, before, 
you and Claire got home, yeah. um, the kids had a bit of a spat with one another and they uh. ended up fighting and so they kind of stormed off into their respective rooms. Yeah. So I, I went as far as the doorway and even that in itself was... Yeah, that, that was a step. Yeah. I could still feel myself being like, oh, I feel really self-aware just standing here in the doorway. But obviously Mel was there as well. So that yeah. made me feel very comfortable. And Mel was sitting on the bed and talking to talking to them. And so it felt comfortable. But it's, yeah, it's, it's not something that has gone away, but it is significantly less... It, it's less of a trigger, I suppose, is the way to kind of frame it. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like... I'm not as challenged by those circumstances now that I once was. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. It, yeah. Especially... And like, they were amazing kids. Like, I truly love these kids. They're, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, not... not uh, you know, I think that's beautiful. Not just for um, you and, and, you know, what it seems to be doing for you, which is great, but also because Benji especially adores you. Um, you know, he's like drawing pictures of, you know, oh, look, it's me and David or me and yeah, Peppy or right, whatever. Right, yeah. and, and that's that's really good because I am a particular kind of, just through my background, I'm a particular kind of male presence sure. in his life. Sure. Um, and I, it's something that I am very conscious of and sometimes regret that I can't be something different which I think, sure. you know, maybe he probably needs from time to time. And so, you know, you're, you're there in his life as this, this other presence with this, you know, these other personality traits that he really gravitates to and he, mm. he really loves in you. And I love that he has that in you as well. Yeah. So I, and it, I, yeah. I love that I could be that for him. Yeah. I, I really do love that, that that is, that is there for it. Like the, the expression, it takes a village... Yeah. comes to mind yeah because no one person can be everything for for another you know and i think that's where often a lot of romantic relationships fail is because it's like i need you to be my best friend i need you to be my lover i need you to be my codependent i need you all to be like things. all yeah. these things yeah. that no one person can fulfill all of those effectively and then still be their own person yeah and it's like no wonder no wonder people end up in such such problematic territory yeah and i i think it's the it it occurred to me as you were saying that that you are a particular type of male presence Mm. but that is a particular type of male presence i can't inhabit you know what i mean like and he is so lucky to have different male and female and 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 just different presences in his life yeah that he can get the things he needs from all of the the people in his life. Like yeah. that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And and it's a strong male presence as well, yours, you know. Sure. And and thank you. It's something that I it, it's something that I really value from two perspectives. One being, you know, what I was just speaking about for for Benji's sake and yeah. you know, for his ability to have you know, these different dynamics of male role models in his life, but also as someone who really didn't have much male presence at all mm. in my life as a child. Not, you know, I really didn't have any male role models around because my father was always there, but he just might as well not have been. Sure. You know, he just, he didn't want to really have much to do with me. He didn't speak to me. He didn't teach me anything. Right. So, you know, he was there to 
provide, which mm. you know was his duty. Yeah. Um, but that was it. You know, he was a he was a father, but not a dad. You know. And, yeah. Okay. And I feel like, you know, I I feel like Benji certainly gets fathering from me, and I try to dad. I guess is <laughs> is in the best way I can. Yeah. Uh, but to have you around as well, to you know, to offer a different sort of, as I said, male presence mm. is really valuable to me uh, for that reason. Thank you. So, no, thank you. That's, no, no, no. No, I insist. I insist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Tasmanian, so I insist. It's <laughs> an awful joke. We're going to cut that out. Um, <laughs> you know, as, as you said, you were growing up and you were sort of looking around for gay role models and, you know, other gay men that may have been in your life. And, of course, being that young, you wouldn't have known about your dad yet because it was before he Certainly not, yeah. Out. Has that been a, a source of comfort for you since, or...? That, I, I don't know if I've ever really reflected on it. I think to, to kind of look at it, I was always looking for a chosen family. I was always looking for yeah. my people. Yeah. Um, and... For, for one reason or another and likely because I didn't know things about myself yeah I couldn't tangibly put my finger on what was missing or what I was looking for hmm. but I would note that I was drawn to certain people and then it's also a confusing thing when you're drawn to somebody you don't necessarily know how to interpret that yeah you know it's like well, do I have feelings for this person? Do I just enjoy their company? Do I like the way they present themselves? Do I want to emulate this? Yeah. Do I just want to be around this? Like, what? It, it's a really hard thing. I mean, even as an adult, sometimes it's hard to delineate what one's draw to somebody is. Yeah, yeah. You know, is it because we align in our worldview? You know, it can be so many things yeah yeah it, 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 we like the same band oh great <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. jump into bed <laughs> and listen to the album obviously <laughs> no but it, it was something that you mentioned a couple of weeks ago i think when we were recording the uh, i guess the our maiden voyage our yeah. maiden voyage yes yeah but you i think you posed the question you know what was it that or it may maybe even have been, you know, preceding this just when we were talking about the idea for this, but you sort of posed the question, you know, what was it that transitioned us from being acquaintances and friends yeah. to into being this sort of chosen family? Mm. And it's something that, you know, very much in the vein of what you were just talking about was, you know, I, I can't really, as much as I sit and ruminate on it, I can't articulate... Mm what it is that's brought us here mm. or why that compulsion is so strong that you know this is our you know yeah. this is our little family right I, yeah it's so it's it's so difficult to to sort of put a finger on it but it's, it's I, I wonder if it is and because we certainly don't all agree on everything like we don't no. have the same viewpoint on everything but i do wonder if with all of those other reasons for being drawn to somebody i wonder if it is a delicious kind of venn diagram where kind of more of those intersect than others do with other people or or maybe maybe that i'm literally thinking this out loud as i as i i'm exploring this as i speak basically yeah, yeah. this is not me 
presenting any conclusions I've come to. Um, I wonder if there is in part the kind of the shared trauma of the pandemic has kind of galvanized what was all like we were already all drawn to one another we were already hanging out and spending time and doing things yeah but i do remember when mel and i were first playing fortnite and we're back to fortnite <laughs> it's a key element in, yeah. the, in our story but gosh i wonder if epic games have any idea what what we're they've not, done we're not sponsored not spo- <laughs> but again very open to being sponsored or just like make it easier to build please uh, <laughs> pair us with easier players so we oh, can just feel God better about sake, ourselves stop putting me up against the best builders in the damn game <sighs> sorry but i do i do remember when mel and i were were playing and you and claire had uh started to join and it was one night that i wasn't playing that apparently the comment was made that like mel was talking about how i get when i'm like caught up in the moment and I would start swearing or whatever. And to that point, I hadn't completely let my guard down and been like that around you and Claire because I worried about how you might perceive me. Right. And as Mel relayed it, was that you or Claire had made like an offhand kind of joking comment of, oh, I feel like I'm missing out a little bit or like I feel like I haven't met the the, the full David yet. Or like <laughs> there, there was something to that effect. Yeah that just Mel relaying that was kind of a permission to me to kind of go, oh, these are people I don't have to pretend or filter yes. around. These are yeah. people I can burp and say pussy. These are, these <laughs> yeah. are people that I can, I can swear at what is probably a, a 10-year-old <laughs> playing on the other side of the world that has just trounced me in this video game. Yeah. You know... Um, but yeah, there, I, I don't know what necessarily the overarching point was, but I, I do distinctly remember that. And that was a, for me, a turning point where I was able to completely let go. And the fact that not only did you guys tolerate it, you egged it on and you played along and joined it. it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, and not to kind of overstate it, but that does make one feel very safe. Yeah. To kind of be able to put that part of oneself out, like whether it's their complete sense, like the full dark sense of humor sometimes, or if it's not feeling like I have to withhold uh, an authentic reaction to something, you know, yeah. Wh- yeah. whatever the case may be. It's a yeah. very safe feeling. Yeah. I actually, similarly, now now that you've just spoken about this sort of, moment where you had this sort of revelation Hmm. I now suddenly recall a moment when I had a very similar revelation Hmm. and it was after we had had some people around at our house one night for dinner dinner and drinks and and we had these people uh, who were friends of ours around and they are there was one person in particular who um is not necessarily a negative person, mm. but a person who sort of thrives on gossip and Ugh. the the sort of snarky kind of, I like to talk about everyone and say all the things that I would never say in front of their faces while we're Ooh. here behind closed doors. 
and you know this is a person I've known for a few years and you know I I uh, have been around them in their element while they've been sort of acting out this kind of personality sure but I never really thought much of it I just yeah. thought you know this is that person yeah but what I realized and I said this to Claire we were Claire and I were talking about it afterward because I think it was the very next night or something like that we were on Fortnite with you and Mel and Probably. And, and probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just distinctly recall such a, uh, just a black and white difference between those two nights where I was with this one person who was just kind of making me feel bad because the energy was negative and right. this person was sort of thriving on being a little bit nasty. Mm. And I was not into that. And then the following night, I'm on Fortnite with you and Mel, and the two of you. I mean, and, and it's not you know, no one can do this 100 percent of the time. Sure. But the overwhelming majority of the time, you bring light with you. You bring positivity. There's a love in your energy. There's a you know, there's a happy positivity that, like I said, I can get on there with the two of you, and I can forget about all the mm. negativity of my day and just be happy with you two. And in and. and yeah. That for me was that kind of revelatory moment where I've gone. These are people that I want to be around a lot more because yeah. they make it makes me happy to be around them. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's that's. And Thank you. It is, no, no, no. I insist. <laughs> I thought you insist. <laughs> <laughs> only sometimes. Well, no, probably a good thing. I was an only child. <laughs> Revolting. Um, <laughs> it's not a rabbit hole we're gonna go down. That's just gonna leave that. That that feeling is is incredibly mutual. Um, speaking to that, it's not that I. It's not that I am like consciously being that, but I know for me, it is incredibly helpful to be. And I know it's annoying for some people. To constantly kind of look for the silver lining or sometimes optimism is viewed as naivety and i i don't think i'm a naive person no, I, I know i am an op- not. I, I know i'm an optimist but i i balance that with a healthy dose to, dose of realism most of the time i think yeah i'm sure i'm way off sometimes but uh, as are as are we all yeah but the I, I was saying this to a friend just yesterday, actually. It's so much easier to be honest because my memory is bad sometimes. Yeah. And if you're being honest, you don't have to remember the narratives that you've spun to people. You don't have to remember what you can say in front of some people and what you yes. can't say in front of others. So that it's like, what a what a complicated way to live. Yeah. yeah. No, like take the moral side of it out. Yeah. It's just so much easier to just be that yeah. and just say, and I, I have long adopted, and I, again, I can't claim perfection with this, but I do aspire to, I will only say of people what I would say to their face. Yeah. That is my measure of, am I being, am I speaking my truth and my experience of that person? Yeah. Or am I just being bitchy? Yeah. Because 
And, and that, that for me, and, and I'm sure I still get it wrong and I definitely have, will misread or get the wrong impression of somebody based on a soul interaction. Sure. I, I think that happens to everybody, but f- that that's kind of my measure of if I wouldn't say this to that person's face, yeah. then I don't need to say it because it's not true. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of thread of thought yeah i'm not trying to paint myself as a saint no 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 no. and and i guess that is that is also my impression of you specifically when you talk about um not being naive but being optimistic Mm. one thing that i very much appreciate about you as a as a person as a friend as a family member Mm. um is that you you are um how do I want to phrase this? I get it wrong from time to time. As, sure. as you know, I'm a white cishet male. And so there are things just about my lived experience that I'm going to, you know, I'm not always going to be perfectly sensitive to other people all the time because I, sure. it, I don't think about it. And it's not that I intend to be certainly not hurtful or, um, uh, inconsiderate or anything like that, but sometimes I just miss the mark. And I have noticed that there have been times when I've done that and I've done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, whatever the case may be. And I'll come to you and I'll say, Oh, David, geez, I fucked this up. Listen to this story. And, you know, and I'll relay to you what has happened. And you're always the first person to, to say, yeah, but you know what? Like, you tried this or you know like you know you you see the good you know you you see the that's because there's good there to see you know like i would hope (laughs) the mere fact that you are aware you are aware enough to go because of my lived experience i was insensitive here or i will fuck this up sometimes the mere fact that you can even make room for that puts you miles ahead and it's not that it's a race or a competition or a comparison to other people but it does it sets you apart from the majority of other white cis head men and that really shouldn't be diminished because there is such incredible power in that like to to, to talk about myself again <laughs> um, <laughs> but in, in terms of feeling safe around people, you know, being able to let my guard down. I don't know if I could ever put into words the um, the significance or the, 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 the... What I'm trying to find the words for is um, I don't think I can articulate as, <laughs> as evidenced right now um, how significant for me it is to have a straight male friend family chosen family member that i can feel safe around Mm. because it actually wasn't until i recognized how safe around you i was that i was able to start processing how unsafe i so often feel and had just come to tolerate excuse me um so often I've come to realize that when I am in the company of straight men that I code switch a lot and I will 
measure my response I will kind of mask myself up as much as I possibly can yeah Um, yeah. but I I will do things to make myself safe yeah sure to make myself less of a target to make myself less um, obvious to, to those people and I didn't realize how much I did that until I realized I didn't have to do that around you right and that's that's an incredibly significant thing well that that makes me feel very nice <laughs> you sure that's not the wine that's making me feel very nice <laughs> I mean, it's a we're, we're not sponsored by the wine <laughs> You know, it's actually fun. Like, I, I don't want to, I guess, digress too much, but... Please. When you talk about... Our, our entire... <laughs> I know, it's... Yeah. It's just going to be part of this show. Absolutely, right? <laughs> we'll start somewhere and we'll never get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> but when you talk about code switching, you know, even myself, like, that's something I do yeah. as well. Because I, too... And it's, it's something that we spoke about the last time we were... Um, you know in our maiden voyage as you said was the fact that I when I was in my adolescence when I was in high school I was not a gay male Mm. but I was treated like one and I was called all the slurs Mm. um, and it was you know the and and my um, my humanity was diminished by the you know like if you think about it in in Hollywood terms, like the the classic sort of high school jocks and and stuff like yeah. that, you know the, the the bullies in school, like yeah. that was what it was for me, and so I too had to learn how to. Let me back up. I think, and you know, this is um, this is me sort of uh, projecting or um, inferring that this is the reason I was treated that way, because obviously I can't get into their heads. But I am inferring that the reason I was treated that way is because I naturally, you know, by my own nature, I was sort of a softer kid. You know, like I was more, um, I don't know if I was more emotionally intelligent, but I was more emotionally sensitive, I guess. And I was, maybe I uh, exhibited a bit more of an effeminate kind of quality than, you know, the... I I think emotion, that's... The, the starting point of emotional intelligence is an, is emotional sensitivity. And mm. um, it's such an unfortunate and damaging thing that so often the reaction to that is boys don't cry, toughen up, don't let them see you yeah. upset. Don't, you know, like it's, it's always about squash those emotions, you know, conceal it or... So I, I really hear what you're saying. Yeah, there's a whole other topic to discuss there too about the conversations that I've had with Benji about male crying and male emotions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't get into it here and now because, sure. again, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> sure. But, um, yeah, anyway, it, it, it's something that I had to learn. Um, and particularly when I, um, when I got out of high school, um, I did one year of college or uni in the US before 9-11 happened and then I joined the Marine Corps and in the Marines which is ultra hyper masculine yeah like yeah. you cannot survive in that environment unless you learn how to be a man you know Ugh. and so 
hot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but but I had to learn that. I, sure. I had and and it, it's it's actually something I said to to Claire years ago um, about how I always felt like I was acting all the time. The, uh, maybe the reason that I gravitated toward acting is because I feel like I've been acting in my day to day life for years and years because I always felt like I was putting on a personality that the world wanted to see mm. and so I was playing a part in my day to day life um, and that certainly was the case while I was in the Marine Corps I had to learn how to be that guy to not just survive in that environment but to be socially accepted sure you know to feel like I was valued as a human being mm. which you need to cope yes um, so I had to develop that sort of hyper mask kind of side of myself just in order to make it through those years yeah how how much do you feel how much of that is still with you how much do you feel you are bound by what was developed because at, at the age you were that's still such a formative is, yeah. age yeah for sure you know like when we I mean my my perspective of um, the, the chemical development of, of human beings is those that have uh, from a vocal coach point of view those that have a female larynx um, generally chemically stop developing around age 24 hmm. and those with a male larynx stop developing around age 28 to 30 really it, it like the larynx continues to grow for that long so the chemical shifts and adjustments that are start go right through your 20s and that's why when I listen to like early Metallica albums when they were in their early 20s James Hetfield the singer his voice sounds a lot higher and then when he's in his late 30s he's, he's got a much deeper it, sort of it will have settled into his more natural timbral quality what? It's it's interesting isn't yeah. it right but I I mean if that's what's happening with the larynx surely that's also what's happening with the brain obviously there are like checkpoints sure. in, in terms of when the majority of like talk about when a boy's voice breaks yeah usually that's somewhere in their teens yep um some earlier some later and some it's more obvious than others and some it's gradual like so everybody has their kind of own their own path with it but there is a period where that happens yeah and it's the most obvious change yep. but then that because it's the voice it continues and for more than 10 years mm. for, for those with a male larynx yeah so I can only imagine that from a personality point of view, from the way our brain is developing, those same things must still be forming. So mm. even though we are, we can, I, I think, uh, I forget the age brackets, but like our fundamental worldview is formed by a certain age and um, the way we form relationships this is without having to do unlearning work but in terms of how we form there are sort of age checkpoints but i can only i am thanks <laughs> samson no that's great do it again it's really conducive to a podcast recording thanks mm -hmm. um but i can only imagine that that continues through one's 20s uh, as well so it's a long way to go <laughs> to ask the question how much of that um, feeling like you have to play the part of this mask. Like, how, how much of that do you still do draw on? Yeah. Or do you still carry with you? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a really interesting question. It's not a question I could give you a definitive answer on. I can tell you unequivocally 
that I do still carry it with me. Sure. Um, particularly because the the whole the whole process of becoming a marine and then being a marine is rife with that sort of hyper masculinity. Sure. So. Um, it's something that was brainwashed, literally brainwashed yeah. into me. It's a very conscious reprogramming that they would be undertaking. Hundred percent, yeah. And and I mean, in in that context, for the purpose of war fighting, I, I think it's probably necessary. Yeah. Mm. But also, I would be lying if I said that there there was no value in it for me. Like I, I sure. have, I have certainly found a lot of value in it. Yeah. Particularly in my ability to relate to other men in a mm. way that I couldn't when I was younger. Yeah. It was going through that process and finding that kind of hyper-masculine character in myself that I was able to have relationships with other men that I, cause my friends when I was young were always female predominantly my friends through my whole life have been mostly female or um, I guess non hyper masculine men mm. um, and so but now I can be around men and feel more comfortable because yeah. I can still step into that space yeah so it was it, like I said it was like it was like learning a character and it's allowed me to relate to those people to form relationships with those people to be comfortable around those people yeah and also to find... So often that's the barrier to having a relationship with those people or being able to interact with those people is the, the discomfort we feel. Yes. Around them. Like yeah. that's the barrier and somewhat less about them yeah. as an yeah. individual. But also to, to find the empathy in their lived experience. Yeah. To find the... I guess to, to have an, an empathetic response to, you know, the kind of life they're living and the kind of people they are and the things that they value. And so to, to understand them as human beings, mm. which was something that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise necessarily. You know, I found a lot of value in that. Yeah. way that I relate to that is it was actually through doing drag that I felt more comfortable in my masculinity right because my drag aesthetic is not female impersonation yes whatever it is to impersonate a female yeah you know whatever that's supposed to look like inverted commas but right there is something about my aesthetic as peppy that is I find it very affirming of my masculinity because you are innately aware when you look at me that that is a man. Yeah. And I think more so than when I am David. Like, I don't think people would look at me and go, that's a man. Like, they would go, they would be right to assume that's a, that's a male. Yeah. But no, I don't think anybody looks at that and goes, that's a, a masculine man. Whereas, yeah, as Peppy, I feel power in my masculinity because people are innately aware of that masculinity because there's a, like an amplification of it that's, that's so really funny. interesting isn't it that's so funny because it i feel more comfortable as a man since i've been doing drag for that reason that's incredible that's so interesting but hearing you talk about being comfortable around people being comfortable around men being able to interact with them it has emboldened me 
because I have this thing to draw from. And yeah. I, know, I know it's a cliche expression from he who shall not be named of drag race. Um, <laughs> the self-appointed head of the, the gays. Having never seen Drag Race, I don't know who you're referring to, but oh. I guarantee we have lots of listeners who will know Absolutely. exactly what you're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. <laughs> At least two. Um, but um, <laughs> rhymes with two fall. Oh, um, now I'm with you. But, but they, they have said the power that is... Uh, the power that you have in drag is available to you out of drag. And there is such truth to that. Um, yeah. And I definitely feel that. And I definitely feel more comfortable around men as a result of having done drag because I know better how to take up space, I suppose, and, and own my presence Yeah. in their company. I, I feel like we have uh, been speaking for a little while now, so we should probably uh, we wrap should it probably, up. Yeah, there. we should. Yeah. Thank but, you for thank you for being a friend. Uh, thank <laughs> you for being uh, a member of my chosen family. Indeed. It's a, a pleasure as always. And I'll see you on Fortnite where we can kill things together. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Studio Podcast.